I like this lighting. I like it too. What did, what colour did we pick in the end? I went like orangey red. Yeah. Because I wanted this to feel like a brothel. Hi, Ruth. Hi, Josephine. <laughs> how are you? <laughs> Good, how are you? Um, well. Yeah. Yeah. The world feels not quite a shit, but still... Still pretty fucked. Still pretty fucked, yeah. Yeah, it's now... So, like, I um, I try and keep up to date with the news and stuff and it, it it's now sort of seeped onto my husband who is obviously still a very socially conscious person, but he's now telling me news that I haven't got around to reading yet. And yeah. so it's, it's like this self-perpetuating thing that's like my house is just full of angst. I read some tweet the other day where it was like, in every married couple there's someone who's the person who's trying to tell the other one, like, the current news and the, and the other person going, no, stop it. I just, it's too much. You <laughs> well, know? it's funny because at some stage we are both that person ah, in my okay. marriage. Like it's yeah. normally me telling Shane and he's certainly not, not interested, but he's sometimes like, I'm just doing this thing and I can't hear about this right yeah. now. But um, yeah, lately it's been both of us. Yeah. Just maybe I'm not I'm terrible healthy. at like, they call it like doom scrolling. Oh yeah. Yeah. Just you like. You just get into a funk. Yeah. Well, it's like on Twitter, uh, specifically on Twitter, you can just read and read yeah. and read. And I'm not it, on and Twitter. I mean, Twitter, I find the funny thing with Twitter is that that's where all the, all the memes, everything, like I find everything that you eventually see on Facebook and Instagram, it all starts on Twitter. Yeah, right. Yeah. Lots of like, so how many jokes do you read on Instagram that are just screenshots of tweets? Yeah. And if that gets enough traction on Twitter, you'll eventually read it. I just don't feel like I need to see it at the source. No, that's probably true. (laughs) I like people to weed out the good stuff, send it to Instagram and I'll read it there. Yeah. Some great musical theatre memes recently. So many good ones. I loved that one. Um, I think you might have shared it. That was all the, like, if you're listening to this musical, this is what it tells you about your depressive state. Yeah, so I sent it to you because I was concerned for myself. Yeah, because wasn't <laughs> it like, if you're listening to the Wait For Me reprise yeah, obsessively from Hades Town, you are having a mental breakdown. Yeah. And I listened to that obsessively. Yeah. And I think it was like, if you're listening to Into the Woods, you're either in the midst of an existential crisis or you just like Sondheim. Yeah. And I get confused because sometimes I'm It both. could be either, yeah, yeah, <laughs> or both at the same time. Um, hello and welcome to My Favourite Musical, yes, the podcast. Yes, this is My Favourite Musical, the podcast. Yes, hello, my name is Josephine. I'm Ruth. That's us, we are your hosts. Thanks for listening. Yeah, it's episode 11. It is. Which is cool. Yeah. Um, obviously you're listening to this, which is great. So you clearly love musicals. If you are super keen, there is a bonus episode that is released every Thursday called the My Favourite Musical Mixtape. It's a much shorter, more bite-sized podcast. Yeah, we do less rambling, I think. Yeah, in fact, very little rambling, I Yeah. Hope. Sometimes I listen back to it and I'm like, I would have liked a bit more exposition on that topic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's just us. We pick a theme each week and we make out we pick our top five songs from that theme each so a top 10 playlist and yeah. we post that playlist on spotify yeah unlike this episode which is going to be long and talking about musicals <laughs> so buckle in yeah <laughs> is it buckle in or buckle up i'm gonna say buckle up i'm gonna say buckle in okay because buck you <laughs> uh all right so let's start with our spotlight spotlighting people of color in musical theater what yeah. have you got ruth Okay, so this week I want to talk about, we actually mentioned this musical and this person um, in the Rent episode because at the time oh, they I've forgotten had... all of that. <laughs> You've blocked it. <laughs> um, it's like a PTSD thing for yeah. you. Um, so I'm, I'm just going to be talking a little bit about um, the musical A Strange Loop and its composer Michael yes. R. Jackson. So 
We talked about it a little, little bit in the red episode because he had just won the Pulitzer Prize for drama at the time. Mm. Um, so in early May of 2020, um, this musical was awarded the Pulitzer. And it was a big deal because, A, well, quite a few reasons. There's only been 10 musicals in the history of the Pulitzer Prize for that drama have that have won yes. uh, it. So it's We've uh, talked about a few of them, Yeah, actually. we have actually yeah. on, on, on the podcast. But um, so it's obviously not always won by a musical. It's often won by a play. Um, But specifically this was a big deal, A, because this had – it's the first one to win that has never had a Broadway run. Yeah. Like – and so Rent hadn't opened on Broadway when it ran – when it won, but it was – it, it did it eventually. Was, it was, it was in to. between its off-Broadway and Broadway run, like yeah. they were about to start on Broadway, whereas this at this stage does not have an announced Broadway, Broadway run. Um, it, it, the other massive thing is it's the first ever musical written by a black writer mm. to win the Pulitzer, so that was a big deal. That's awesome. Um, the other thing to know is that just in mid-June, so quite recently, it won a slew of Drama Desk Awards. So oh, the wow. Drama Desks, for those who don't know, um, so the Tony Awards are specifically for Broadway. The Drama Desk Awards um, encompass all of New York theatre. So yeah. you can be a Broadway show, you can be an off-Broadway show, you can be an off-off-Broadway show yeah. um, and, be, and be eligible for those awards um, for that year. So it won a whole bunch including outstanding musical, outstanding book, outstanding lyrics, outstanding director and outstanding lead actor. Wow. Yeah, so it pretty much like swept, um, it swept up, the drama awards, drama disc awards this year. Um, just a little bit about the show. You can listen to it on Spotify mm. and I highly recommend doing it. Um, it is about it, – it's so amazing that – I mean, I guess this is our kind of um, – ignorance right Mm. but listening to this show in the time that we're in um with the black lives matter protests and all that sort of thing i listen to the show and i'm like oh my god i can't believe this show was written before all of this is going on but of course it's just highlighting yeah it's highlighting the issues that we're you know maybe just now being having our attention brought to yeah and we Um, know there's been black lives matter protests for years and years that's true but i think just specifically that the issues that have come up um, in the Broadway community to do with um, representation of black people and everything. Like this musical is basically specifically about that. That's amazing. Yeah. So um, wow. the main character is Usher um, and he works as an Usher mm-hmm. at The Lion King and he's an overweight black gay man and it's basically about him, his experiences kind of attempts to navigate the like heteronormative white world of Broadway essentially. Oh, wow. So it is and so topical. It's, it's like so spot on. Some of the things that come up in it are really amazing. Yeah. I mean there's even – so the character's name is Usher and at one point he sort of talks about that thing of like also – having the same name as a famous person, which Michael R. Jackson, the composer, obviously also yes. has. So there's sort of like parallels there. Wow. But, um, yeah, so it's like Usher and then there's a sort of six-person all-black ensemble who voice his thoughts. Like that's nice. the cast, the seven of them. So it's really a one-man show? Well, yeah, like in- I mean those six people, are, they just kind of play many different so there's a one-character show. Yes, yes exactly. Yes. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, and um, Larry Owens, who plays Usher, is really amazing in it as well. He's are the there one any who won women lead in actor. the yeah, cast? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great. I don't know the exact breakdown, but there are women, definitely women in it as well. Um, but, yeah, it's really great. I actually saw Michael R. Jackson in a concert in about 2016. It was this concert at this space in New York that during the day, I actually didn't notice at the time, but during the day it was a porn studio. Oh, cool. And at night it was a cabaret space. It's <laughs> oh, very New York. New York. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but I went to see Joe Iconis and family perform. Nice. And um, he, it was like a double bill of him with him and them. And um, I really enjoyed his songs at the time. Yeah. And so I was – 
always sort of keen to see where his career went after that. And the other reason we talked about him in the Rent episode that was a lovely parallel is he was a previous recipient recipient of the, the Jonathan, Jonathan Larson, Larson Award. Award. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Um, everyone listen to A Strange Loop. I'm going to link the Spotify link in the show notes. Yeah. Um, but it's really great. Have a listen. I haven't it, listened to it yeah, yet. Yeah, it's really excellent. I've been listening to it a lot this week. Oh, so. wow. Strange yeah. Loop. Do you think it'll make it into one of our episodes? I think not only that, but I also think that it's going to almost be. certainly. I mean, God, isn't this terrible? But especially after everything that's going on in the world right now, I would not be surprised if a producer picks it straight up and takes it to so. Broadway. Hope so. Yeah. So we might be seeing more of it commercially. This I could hope be. So. Yeah. This could be a turning point. Yeah. I'd be very surprised if they didn't. Yeah. 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 Oh well, that's great. Yeah. Okay, Michael R. Jackson. Indeed. Nice. Okay, mine's a little different. I. Um, I've been looking at this amazing website called, um, what is it called? It's called How Round. Okay. Anyway, so on this website is a, a bunch of different essays written by um, people of colour and also other marginalised sort of groups of society talking about sort of disrupting theatre and how do we disrupt and sort of create a more liberal theatre world. Yeah. Anyway, this essay was written by Anne James and I didn't know who Anne was. Anne James is a theatre educator and she's a stage director who she's got like over 100 directing credits. But she's sort of now completely devoted to making both stage and screen safe places for people of colour to practice their craft through intimacy choreography and intimacy direction. Um, she's currently pursuing America's first doctoral degree in intimacy direction for people of colour. Wow. Which is super cool. There's like, so yeah, read her brilliant essay. The, and I also really recommend how around the organisation, they're literally just all about amplifying progressive ideas in theatre. Okay. So it's a really amazing website. Read it, read it. Anyway, what I didn't know about was intimacy direction and choreography. I mm. didn't know that this existed. So basically... Everyone will know that if there's like a fight or violence on stage, you would have like a fight choreographer come in to work on that particular moment in Yeah, a, because a show. they're an expert in that particular yeah, thing. Yeah, that's right? right. And also like you can't expect actors to just know how to fight on stage, for yeah. example. But uh, up until really quite recently, intimacy, which includes like nudity and sex scenes and kissing and sort of any any sort of like sensitive personal moments on stage was sort of never dealt with separately from the director and also like to specifically ensure like safety of the actors and all of that sort of stuff so since Tarana Burke's sort of Me Too movement yeah um intimacy direction has become more normalized in theater however and this is something I didn't know either the current wave of feminism which we all know is still very much focused on white feminist culture, yeah. for sure, um, despite Me Too being a movement begun by a woman of colour. Mm. Anyway, that's another thing. It pretty much, the current intimacy direction ignores like the disenfranchisement of women of colour and even men of colour. Right. So intimacy direction currently is almost exclusively white. There are just not really any intimacy directors who mm. are themselves people of colour. So Anne James started this organisation called Intimacy Directors and Coordinators of Colour to address this gap. Okay. Um, what I hadn't considered is that, yes, like intimacy direction is probably centred on ensuring the white female experience is safe and comfortable in those like intimate moments on stage because I think we'd all like we know like as, as women you can feel vulnerable and, you know, yeah, it's a it's nudity a, or yeah. whatever. Yeah, what it doesn't necessarily consider though is the experience of people of color, particularly of black men. Mm. And I think we like we all understand the violent impacts of say the patriarchy on women. Like that's pretty clear. But I hadn't considered the ways that white women sometimes perpetuate 
patriarchy like in a racialized way toward black men mm, so like sexualizing and stuff yeah or even just like um the black man and, and maybe um that idea of the black man being a scary thing or do you know what right. i mean like like making that like body physically imposing exactly and making that body something to be ashamed of perhaps yep, and yep. so intimacy direction now the way that the work that Anne james is doing is like creating a safe place for black men and women to be safe on stage yeah. and to feel comfortable in those moments because they happen in theatre. Like yeah. That. And I, I hadn't considered it. I feel so stupid and ignorant that it had never occurred to me. And, like, I love that intimacy direction exists because I know that I certainly in most situations wouldn't feel comfortable unless there was someone who was trained to coach me through yeah. that. So I can only imagine being a person of colour in that situation. Mm. And particularly a lot of the rhetoric that I read was like um, people of colour not being comfortable with white people directing yeah. them on how to feel comfortable in their bodies. Like, yeah. like that that's a big gap in knowledge that as a white person, I don't I don't know what yeah. it's like to be a black person. And so I found that really fascinating. Similarly, I can imagine that um, that like trans people like it would be a whole other level again where it's like yeah like how can someone who isn't trans be telling them exactly how to feel comfortable in their body that's right and I understand like we we talk about white people can of course direct black people and vice versa that's different but when we're talking about intimacy choreography I think that's a whole new level yeah and that requires a deep understanding of you know like of of body and of of self in terms of identity and, and race so I agree even in this article she mentioned trans people and said that's a whole nother gap yeah. That hasn't yet been addressed. If nothing else, I hope that as these, and obviously like this intimacy direction and choreography is a whole new area that's Very really opening new. up. Yeah. I hope that in the training or however that takes place, mm. that they are looking at intersectionality as part of their training I now. only can hope so. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, so what Anne James is doing is she's looking into a lot of the training of intimacy directors and saying there's a big there's a big yeah. problem with the way we're training people. Like you're missing it's a so whole. so specific. It's so white. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Anne James, she's amazing. I think we should keep our eyes peeled on intimacy direction and the work that she's doing because yeah. it's super important. Because, yeah, you should feel safe on stage. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Amazing. Do you have any apologies for Apology Hour? I don't. Do you? Oh, well, I sort of do. And this is really self-indulgent. I just have been listening back to some episodes and realised that I, if you don't know me, I do come across as very arrogant. <laughs> really, really up myself. She is, guys. Don't listen to her. I am. This is the thing. Like, I'm not apologising because I come across that way. I am. And, but at other times also crippled with self-doubt. <laughs> so if you catch me in a moment where I'm self-aggrandizing, good on me. Yeah. But other times it's just mainly self-hate. <laughs> so that's my apology for my personality. There you go. Shush. You're very dry. Very dry. Yeah. Ruth, do you want to explain some theatre terms to us? Sure. So this week we thought we'd have a chat about the difference between essentially the – in making a musical there's the music, there's the lyrics and there's the book. Yes, the holy trinity. Yeah, we thought we'd have a chat about the differences between them. Can I guess what the difference is between music and lyrics? Sure. Is one music and one is lyrics? That's right. (laughs) (laughs) So that's fairly, uh, you know, the composer writes the music and the lyricist writes lyrics. And sometimes a composer can be both. Yep. But a lot of the times, like Rodgers and Hammerstein, one wrote the music yeah. and one wrote the and lyrics. And sometimes it can be two people that both write both yeah. or, you know, two people write the music and one person writes the lyrics yeah. or whatever. It changes song to song, yeah. but yeah. Book is where it gets a bit trickier. Yes. Essentially, the book is the person who is in charge of the narrative structure of the musical. Mm. Um, 
if it is a book, a tr- what we call a traditional book musical. book musical. So like in previous weeks we've discussed sung through musicals and, you know, that sort of thing. When we talk about a book musical, we're talking about sort of traditional, there's songs and there's dialogue yeah. and there's songs and there's dialogue, yeah. right? The vast um, majority of musicals. Yes, that's right. Yeah. And so in that sense, the the book writer is in charge of the narrative structure and the dialogue. Yeah, so um, like writing the script. Yes, the script. And um, – the only time that really does become complicated is in a sung through show because mm. the role it really does depend on the show completely what how much the book writer has done in yeah. that show. Often then it does just become a role that's about structure. It's almost like the uh, the role of a dramaturg perhaps yeah. In, yeah. in times. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So but there are some shows too where there's a book writer, a, a composer and a lyricist where the book writer will actually work closely with the lyricist yeah. to ensure continuity of the exactly. book within the lyrics of a song. And also Sometimes you might hear the term librettist mm. and that technically means if the lyricist and the book writer are the same person. That's right. Because the libretto is the total All the words. written words of yep. the show basically. Including lyrics. Including the lyrics. Yeah. So you might know that term as well, librettist. Mm. So, yeah. Um, yeah. That's, that's the interesting. Differences. Yeah. Mm. I like that. Thank you, Ruth. No worries. That's been Theatre Explained. <laughs> <laughs> do you have any recommendations for us? I do have a couple. Tell me. Um, a First up is a book that I read. No, just tell me, not them. Oh, okay. Um, a little while ago, and I just realised I didn't write down the author's name. Anyway, it is a. Do you um, want me to Google it? It's it's called David Merrick, the Abominable Showman. Oh, I. Feel or like the Abominable Showman, the unauthorized biography of David Merrick, and I didn't write down the Hold, author's please. name. Um, I'll talk about my other. Oh, I'll talk about the book a bit. Yeah. So David Merrick, if you don't know him, he was this like really infamous. Um, producer um, back in the day, produced for many decades on Broadway. He was really well known, say, for like when 40, on opening night of 42nd Street on Broadway, Gower Champion, the director died, and he didn't tell the cast oh, until shit. the curtain call. So the cast found out, he announced it during the curtain call, and the cast all found out at once. Like stuff like that. He would sort of just, there was a thing where I can't remember what show it was, but it was like Phantom. Um, it was like if you couldn't get tickets to Phantom, he started his show across the road 15 minutes later because if you couldn't get tickets for Phantom, you could go across the street and get tickets for his show. No. Stuff like this. That may also have been 42nd Street actually. But, yeah, like he's just like one of those like lots of like, you know, little tricks and things like that. And, and this book details them all. Um, but, yeah, it's a really good book. I It may be sort of out of print. Like you'd be able to buy it but – you might have to hunt for it a bit. It's by Howard Kissel. Kissel, great. Howard Kissel, um, David, the Abominable Showman, the Unauthorized Biography of David Merrick. That's my book recommendation. I want to read that. It's really good. I have it. I'll lend it to you. Thank you. <laughs> um, the other thing I have is a YouTube channel. Um, and actually, this channel mostly is about movie music and not necessarily about musical specifically but it's still really worth watching yes um and i'm going to um specifically recommend one video so there's when i get to my musical this episode um there's a video that they do on there about Ooh, that musical okay but they also do one on west sides the west side story film um and the video is called west side story an underappreciated masterpiece and i'm going to link the youtube video in the show notes and it's just basically a really in-depth look at the music nice. of west side story and how clever it is i agree um but but mostly the channel is um, other movie music and just 
like the way it's written and themes and what they represent in characters and things like that. So if you like movie music generally, it's a great channel. There's like some, there is some other musicals. There's like Disney movies and stuff like that. Yeah. But yeah, um, I'm going to link that West Side Story video in particular because it is excellent. It's about 20 minutes, but it's a really great in-depth. I love West Side Story. That's great. Sometimes I forget that I love it. Yeah. Yeah. I love West Side Story. Oh, okay. Yeah. Calm down. (laughs) Um, So my recommendation is really random. Okay. Have you finished yours? Yes. Oh, good. Um, one of my favourite films, and I'd forgotten about it, is Waiting for Guffman. Yes. And I'd just forgotten, like, how much I love it and also how relevant it is to musical theatre. Yeah. If you haven't seen Waiting oh, for Guffman, yes. what the hell Absolutely. are you doing? Especially if you've ever done community amateur theatre. If you've theater. ever done any amateur theatre, this would, is so relevant. So just it's, it's so good. It's really just about, like, an amateur musical production in a small town. It's like a take on Waiting for Godot. It's by um, Christopher Guest and Eugene Levy, who is – He's of Schitt's Creek fame and like that's the team that sort of brought us Best in Show and Spinal Tap and a whole lot of other like cool mockumentary style movies. So um, yeah, anyway, you should just watch it. It's very good. It's so good. It's pretty old now but it's awesome. Yeah, it's excellent. I love all of Christopher Guest's films. They're all amazing. Yeah. 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 Cool. Yay. Am I first? You are. Excellent. This week I am doing full title. Ready? Sweeney Todd, (gasps) The Demon Barber of Fleet Street. Sweeney Todd. Did you even know that was the full title? Yes, of course I did. I didn't know that it was actually the full title. I've always yeah. just called it Sweeney Todd. Oh, no, I, I thought every time you said that you were just ignorant. Oh, that no explains way. a lot about our relationship. <laughs> uh, yeah, Sweeney Todd, the Demon Barber of Fleet Street. By our Lord and Saviour, Stephen Sondheim. Correct. The first Sondheim one I've done since I did Into the Woods. Uh, so <laughs> Music and Lyrics by Stephen Sondheim, book by Hugh Wheeler. Hugh Wheeler. He also did the book of A Little Night Music. Oh, and okay. maybe Follies. He did Candide. He's done quite a few that you would have heard of. So he's, But he's collaborated with Stephen Sondheim. Yes, there's, a few, there's a few Sondheim shows. Yeah. Um, so the reason I have chosen this show, I mean. Because it's great. Sondheim obs. <laughs> like. Yeah. Um. We're just going to gradually move through all of them. Yeah. That's well, right, all of them. I think we talked about, like, there's probably about half of the Sondheim shows that I just think are some of the greatest shows ever written and then the other half I don't even really listen to. Yeah, I don't really listen to Passion. Or I know. Passion's funny, isn't it? Because I know people who love Passion. Well, I think I just need to listen to it. Like, yeah, I, just I actually to want involved. to watch. There is a pro shop version of Passion from, like, the Lincoln Centre production in, like, 1994. I'd, I think I think that's what we need to watch. I yeah, think we okay. need to watch it. Okay, let's do it. Let's it's make a like, date. It's not like it gets done no, it doesn't. for us to see. I don't think I'm going to not like it. You know no, what I mean? Like, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so there's a, f- yeah, there's a few that I'm not that into, but Sweeney Todd is one that I am definitely into. Well, yeah. I also just feel like compared to some of his other shows, there's so many ways you can do this show. Yes. Like it can really be. Well, it also has probably the most diverse ensemble. Yeah. And it can just, it can be like massive cast, tiny yeah. cast. Like you can really, I, you could change the setting if you really wanted to. Like there's yeah. so many things you yeah. can do with it. I agree with that. Um. So yeah, Sweeney Todd. And until, you know, we, we had the discussion when, you did company as to did you say that company you think is his most accessible show? Yes, I do. Yeah, I think that, I think that to me it would be between that that and Sweeney Todd. Mm. Um, See, I think the music of Sweeney Todd is too classic music theatre, whereas mm. I think for company it's a bit more popular Interesting. sounding. Interesting, yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. And and Sweeney Todd can get almost a bit like operatic at yeah, times. At times. Yeah. So anyway, so Sweeney Todd as a character comes from 
mid 19th century, what were called penny dreadfuls. Mm. So like basically um, cheap literature that was serialized. So it was released like weekly. Yeah. They cost a penny to buy. <laughs> you okay? hit myself with my microphone. <laughs> um, cost a penny to buy. And that was Sweeney Todd the Demon, Barbara of Fleet Street. Yeah. You know, uh, originated from there. It was almost like a fable, wasn't it really? Yeah. And it, it's, yeah, it's like, and there's that thing like, was he a real person? Like there's this big kind of like. Well, because there's been so many iterations of that story exactly, since. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. The musical is specifically adapted from a 1973 play mm. um, that was written by Christopher Bond and sometimes saw that play in London and basically just was like, I think this would make a great musical. He imagined a musical version of it. And interestingly, that actually isn't how a lot of the sometimes shows start. It's often not his idea. No, someone comes to him with yes, the idea. Yes, exactly, which yeah. I sort of thought was fascinating. Yeah. This is one of very few that was his idea. Wow. Yeah. Well, that's that going to be really good for your self-esteem, hey, if yeah, you're Yeah, that's right. So um, it's set up right at the beginning of the show that we are being told a story. Yes. The very first line of the, the show is attend the tale of, Swe- of Sweeney Todd, as, as Josephine says. Um, and so, you know, right from the beginning it's like we're being told you're about to watch a story, you know, there's the implication that we're watching actors tell that story, mm. et cetera, et cetera. That's like Hadestown, same thing. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, play within a play style. Yeah. Um, uh, so in terms of the actual plot, so Benjamin Barker is a barber who is falsely convicted of a crime and sent to Australia um, because that's where criminals that's were where sent criminals back go. in that day here to Australia. Um, he's there for 15 years and he has to leave his beloved wife, Lucy, and daughter, Joanna, behind in London. Um, when we start the show, he has returned to London and instead has adopted the alias Sweeney Todd. Um, and upon returning to his old shop in Fleet Street, which is above Mrs. Lovett's Pies, um, Mrs. Lovett's Uh, her shop he basically vows revenge on judge turpin who he discovers that judge turpin's actions caused his wife lucy to poison herself with arsenic and that judge turpin has taken joanna as his ward um mrs lovett also comes up with the idea when he's plotting all this revenge that they use sweeney todd's victims as the contents of her pies delicious that takes us to the end of Act 1 mm-hmm. and pretty much Act 2 is lots of people dying. Just death. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And singing about it. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> It's um, very dark. It is. It's dark. It is very dark. So the original Broadway um, cast, the company opened on March 1st, 1979 at the Eurus Theatre. Eurus. It's now the Gershwin, oh, right, which the is Gershwin. where Wicked is. Yeah. Um, so, yes. <laughs> It's wicked. I hate wicked. Um, and it ran until June 29th, 1980. Uh, the original production starred Len Carey. Wait, did you say 79 it opened? Yeah, so it ran for like, so what, fi- like a year? 500 odd performances. Yeah, oh, okay. just, um, just under a year. Yeah, like a year and a bit. Oh, okay. Um, and that. That surprises me. Yeah, it didn't It didn't recoup its money. No. Um, it was a big success, but it wasn't sort of commercially successful yeah. as these things often aren't. Welcome to Suntime. Yeah, friends. exactly. <laughs> um, it starred Len Carew as um, Sweeney, Angela Lansbury as Mrs. Lovett, and I don't know if you know this, but Victor Garber as as Anthony. Mm. Victor Garber, you many you would know from various things, Alias, if you ever watched the TV yeah, show so Alias. Random. Titanic he was in, wasn't he? Oh, yeah, he? he was in, yeah. Yeah. Wasn't he in that um, awful Annie movie? Was he? Yeah. I think we established that I have not seen that. I think he was Daddy Warbucks. Oh, was he? I think so. Excellent. Um, it was nominated for nine Tony Awards and it won eight of those nine. So, and I don't, I tried That's to find out, good. I tried to find out how many shows have won 
this collection of Tonys, but it won. Oh, it's niche, is it? Best musical, best score, best book, best director, best leading actor, and best leading actress. Oh. I would say there are very few musicals because, for example, like I know house. I know that Hamilton didn't win Best Leading Actor and Best Leading Actress. Yeah. So, like, that is like that's a, actually the yeah. full house, and of then it also Awards. won Best Scenic Design and Best Costume Design. If Eva Noblezato had won her Tony, that would have been the case with Hadestown, right? Oh, would it? Did it win, win Leading Actor? Uh, no, it no, it won actor. Supporting for Andre yeah. Shields, yeah. So I think that's quite common yeah. that something like someone... might sweep it. but Because I think the thing with Leading Actor and Leading Actress is because like the revival categories are also yeah. eligible for those awards. So what I often There's see is that of... it can be a re- like a, cl- a clean sweep in terms of the original musical categories. Yeah. But then when it comes to Leading Actor and Actress, often like someone in a revival will take those awards. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So I just thought that was – That is cool. I couldn't think of another show. Was it a particularly heavy year for – talent um i looked um probably no thinking at that time no but still it's still a good it was a, it's big yeah i'm gonna find out um so in terms of productions that have happened since it has had a few broadway revivals a few london revivals mm. but i just wanted to talk about a couple of those ready um the 2005 broadway revival which starred michael Cerverus as sweeney todd and patty lapone as mrs lovett i love michael Cerverus. me too oh my god i love him and patty lapone yeah, too exactly so directed by john doyle so that one was obviously it was kind of the first one of the John Doyle shows where they play their own. And so you talked about Mm. company, his production of company, which happens in 2007. Yeah. Um, So, yeah. So in this production, it was 10 actors and they play their own instruments. There's no orchestra. Um, And that's it. So when you think about the original production. Though it's such an orchestral. Yeah. Like the instrumentation is pretty full on. Right. And the original production had 27 cast members and 27 people in the pit. Yeah. So, um, it's like a proper orchestra. It's like a, and yeah. And then the film soundtrack has something like 78 orchestra members. Like it's a full orchestra. Like a symphony. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, quite incredible. It, I know that it won. The Tony at one that year was like best orchestrations at the Tonys and pretty incredible to reorchestrate that show, not just for 10 people, but for 10 actors playing their own instruments. Yeah. So, yeah, and, I wish I could have seen that production. They're not like known for their instrumental no. talents, Well, right? so the way that they cast it apparently was that they basically looked for actors who had instrument experience and mm. then kind of wrote around that. Wow. It was a production that had originated in the UK. But, for example, I think Mrs. Lovett in the UK played trumpet, whereas Patti Lapone had played tuba in her high school <laughs> marching band. So cool. she played tuba when it came That's over. That's such a Mrs. Lovett. Have you seen that meme? Have you seen the meme of? I don't think so. There's a funny meme of um, it's just like obviously a band and it's a chick holding a tuba and the the like mouth of the tuba, you know, the gigantic end piece. Yeah is like over someone's head and it's like Patty Lapone's holding the tuba and then Sweeney Todd is the person who's being smothered by the tuba. <laughs> it's hilarious. Um, so interestingly, I read an article in the New York Times earlier today that basically said that that production in 2005, and this article was only published earlier this year. Right. So, but that 15 years since, they feel like that production was the start of kind of Broadway as we know it today in terms of the stripped down a show like Hadestown is a perfect example of what being able to happen after Sweeney Todd did that for it so yeah yeah, these really kind of like small casts like and and it happens I think now with original shows as well something like the band's visit you know shows like that yeah exactly so um, it's not the era of big musicals yeah and so they that that really marks the start of that era I thought that was really interesting that's cool yeah um, so that was in 2005. 2007 is the film. Yeah. 
Uh, let's talk about the film for a second. Shall I get my egg shaker out? You can get it out because I want to talk about it. Okay, well, I am just going to do this. So you hate the film? Yeah, I hate it. Okay. I thought I hated the film. And then you rewatched it, right? I rewatched it recently, researching and this. I don't think I'd seen it since I saw it probably at the cinemas. Yeah, I haven't seen it since um, then Cinema. I love the way UK British people say cinema. Oh, I think there's more than one cinemas there, so you go to the cinemas. <laughs> yes, but I was just like, I'm going to the cinema. So weird. I just love the emphasis on ma. Cinema. Anyway, of course, the film directed by Tim Burton, um, starring like him? Johnny. You hate all Tim Burton films? No, I, I said I like him. Oh, you like him. Sorry. I love him. Okay, I don't necessarily like all his oh. films. I like his early films. What are the new? Oh, well, you don't like the new Willy Wonka. No, no, well, no one does. <laughs> Maybe it's Johnny Depp we don't like. No, I like Edward Scissorhands, but I hate Johnny Depp as a person. As a person. Mm. Um, so directed by Tim Burton, starring Johnny Depp and Helena Bonham Carter, right? Yeah, and several other people. Uh, okay, so I thought I hated this film. Yeah, I rewatched it. I don't hate the film. Okay, it is. Shot very well. Yeah, the, the the like the visual elements of it, I think, are done very well. I remember it had a really beautiful color palette too. Yeah, like it and was beautifully graded. It's, it's two thousand and seven, and actually, so, like even some of the special effects, I think, are done quite well for two thousand and seven. Like cool. now, it's, it looks a bit hokey. Yeah, but for thirteen years ago, I think that were quite impressive. Two thousand and seven, thirteen years ago. <laughs> yes, I'm afraid so. <laughs> um, I even. I don't mind several of the performances. Alan Rickman is Judge Turpin. He's I, – I will watch Alan Rickman in anything. Alan 100%. Rickman, R.I.P., what a tr- international treasure. I love treasure. Alan Rickman. Um, I actually quite – I really – I think he plays the judge really well. Yeah. Um, uh, oh, my God, his name's gone out of my head, but he plays Peter Pettigrew in the Harry Potter films. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, my goodness, his name's gone out of my head. Anyway, uh, he plays – Beetle Bamford. I will think of it while we talk. Um, And he's great too. It's sort of like virtually unknown people playing. It's Helena Bonham Carter that's the problem, right? So I do think Helena Bonham Carter, oh, this is terrible to say because I actually really like Helena Bonham Carter as an actress as well. Yeah. I love her in Fight Club. I really like her in The King's Speech. What was that film she did with Kenneth Branagh? That was really good. Oh, I don't know. Was she? Yeah, anyway. But – she vocally, I just think he's way too weak for this. It's not even that it's not even that she's like pitchy or anything. It's just that the voice type isn't right. And I almost feel like she's concentrating so much on her singing that it's affecting her character as well. Yeah, she's quite wooden in the film, I think. Yeah, I just it, like it's supposed to be this big bawdy musical, you know, character. And his name is Timothy Spall. That's it, Timothy Spall. Yeah. yeah. He's great. He like great. lots of people in it are great. Um and, yeah, it's just – it's her performance that it really feels like lets down a lot of it. I even think Johnny Depp is pretty good. Yeah. Now, I will say if his – like if his vocal range was like three notes more, I think mm. he'd be great. But it gets to Epiphany, yeah. which is like the, the big Act 1 closing yeah, – well, it's not the closing number of Act 1, but no. we're heading towards the end of Act 1. It's a big um, number for that character and it gets to the big notes and he just really can't give yeah. them a lot of force he just can't do vibrato to save his life like it's just straight tone the entire he's not, film he's just not a singer no he's not and but his performance i actually think like his acting is very good in the role he's an excellent actor i will say that his 
to me, it just does look like Edward Scissorhands is playing Sweeney Todd. Yes. I wish that they had weathered him a bit. Like, like he's got like perfectly clear pale skin, for example. And it's like, I'm sorry, he's been in Australia for 15 years doing hard labor and there's like not a blemish on his skin. <laughs> like there's yeah. things like that where I just really disagree with the way that they've done things. But then, and I also think that the adaptation is quite good. So there's like lots cut from it. Yeah. Um, the entire ensemble is cut. I do miss the opening ballad of Sweeney Todd and the closing ballad of Sweeney Todd. Yeah, I thought that was a bad decision. Did you? Yeah, So originally they had three ghosts that were going to do those Mm. and I think Anthony um, Head was going to be one of them. Christopher Lee was going to be another. I love Christopher Lee. Yeah, um, but they ended up cutting them. I assume for time. It's also a bit hokey. It's a three-hour musical and they've turned it into a two-hour film, I think. It's an epic musical. Yeah, it is. It's a long one. So, yeah, look, there's, there's some interesting things. It was a better adaptation than I thought it was in like like my memory of it was that it wasn't good that's it's nice that you like you went back and revisited yeah, it exactly you're a more generous person than I am for example <laughs> um it was nominated for three Oscars um lead actor best costume design and best art direction and it won for best art direction yeah um well like you said you liked the visual of it yes yeah. and I agree I think that was deserving um, in the book Finishing the Hat that I recommended a couple of episodes Finishing ago, I think, uh, Sondheim's book of all his collected lyrics, it's one of the two books, um, he says it's the only film adaptation of his that he approves of. Oh, what? Mm. Isn't that when was that published though? Yes. I don't know if – you, are you saying it was pre-Into the Woods? Yeah, not that I think he would approve of that. Yes, I'd have to double-check that. I just wonder. I do have a copy sitting on the piano. But... I love that you're just looking at it like <laughs> it's too far away. <laughs> Open up. <laughs> um, so some other revivals. 2012 was the London revival um, with Michael Ball and Imelda Staunton. Boo. Oh, not Imelda Staunton. No, I, I love, love Imelda Staunton. Michael Balls. Apparently he was great. Yeah, well, he sometimes is. I believe that version is on YouTube if you – YouTube – Search the Are right thing. Are you suggesting things? we look at <laughs> It may not even, it may have even been filmed. Pro- I don't know. It looks pretty legit, the filming. <laughs> um, it is set in the 1930s instead of the mid-1800s. Okay. Yeah. So sure, that's interesting. whatever. I don't know. They, they reset it there. Oh, do what you want. Then the production that I want to talk about, which I saw, which I fucking loved, was the 2000... 2000- Wasn't the one you saw with me, right? No. <laughs> we might talk about that. <laughs> Uh, the 2014 Tooting Arts Club production. Tooting Arts Club. So literally just like a theatre company in Tooting in London, right, was set in a real pie shop. They did it in That's a real right. pie shop, You right? haven't shut up about this since <laughs> the day it happened. It transferred to a space on the West End, like on Shaftesbury Avenue in 2015 for a, like a commercial run for a few months. And then it transferred off-Broadway downtown at Barrow Street Theatre in 2017. Um, and it ran there for almost 18 months. That's where you saw it, right? Uh, yeah, and I saw yeah. the original. So several members of the UK cast came over to do yeah. that and I saw that um, there. I love the idea of it being in a pie shop. Yeah, so it was like something like 130 it sat. Yeah. And they so they recreated the pie shop mm. in this um, space. Correct me if I'm wrong. I think that's like, what is that, Avenue Theatre? Like there's a name for theatre when the audience is like there. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know that I'm term. i trying to think what You'll it have is. to use it as one of our th- – Theatre explained terms. Yes, I will. Yes. Um, so that production only had eight actors in it and three musicians and that's it. So f- Wait, three musicians? Yeah. So it was like How? piano. I think it's – oh, God, I'm going to get this wrong. I think it's piano, violin and cello, something like that. And that makes sense. Yeah, and that was it. it wow. had, so, again, it had been reorchestrated for that production. Beautiful. Yeah. Um, and uh, it was – I loved it so much. It was like in your face. They. I loved – I loved just – it was so immediate. Um, Guys, she's frothing. I am frothing. <laughs> the um, 
you could, I didn't do it, but you could come earlier and have your pie, like a pie for dinner before the show started. Would you eat a pie on the night you watched? <laughs> well, probably beforehand rather than after. Well, perhaps. definitely. But it was done by like, it was like catered by like a really nice restaurant in New York. And, yeah. you know, you only had one op. You had they a matter of vegetarian pies. option and yeah, that was yeah, it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I loved, so they doubled. So obviously because only actors, lots of people were doubled. And in that one, um, the actor playing... So in both that and the 2005 Broadway revival, it's a female playing um, Pirelli, um, which I think makes sense. Well, it makes sense vocally too. Yeah, because like finding role. a count, it's like a counter tenor <laughs> yeah, basically, it's right? Ridiculous. Yeah. So like finding a counter tenor is pretty hard. Yes. Um, and then understudies for that counter tenor. So true. Um, so they just get an alto in. Yeah. Well, in fact, I think it's they may even change. It's it's definitely done like as a soprano. Yeah. Right. Kind of like they ham it up. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so in that. Um, off-Broadway revival, it was um, she also plays the bigger woman. Oh. Yeah. That's and that my favourite role. Well, I love that as well because the bigger woman also doesn't – and Pirelli often don't have a lot to do. Yeah. So that worked really well. If I ever did Sweeney Todd, I want to be the bigger woman. Yeah, that is the doubling you will play Yay. when I play Mrs. Lovett. <gasps> You'd be uh, so good. <laughs> um, there have also been several famous concert versions of this. Like it gets done as a concert a lot. Yeah, that makes more sense. Um, so in 1999 with the L.A. Phil – um, Philharmonic Kelsey Grammer played Sweeney. I just put this Kelsey. in for you. Kelsey Grammer was Sweeney Todd and Christine Baranski was Mrs. Lovett. Oh, it's like two of my faves. I know. I That's just cool. I just put that in to tell you. I can't imagine um, Christine Baranski is Mrs. Lovett actually. You can or you can't? No, I can't. She's I too can. leggy. Oh, interesting. <laughs> I don't think I, I – to me Mrs. Lovett could kind is of anyone. look like anything. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. She I, can. As long as the character's right, yes. she can look however she wants to. <laughs> um, in two, in new, 2000, the New York Philharmonic and in 2001, the San Francisco Symphony sort of did this same concert version with George Hearn as um, – as Sweeney, Sweeney and Pat and Patty Lapone first played yeah. Mrs. Lovett then. Um and Neil Patrick Harris was Tobias, Toby. Oh yeah. And that version that. the version in San Francisco they filmed um and released on DVD. Yeah. So I believe that one is also on YouTube. Yeah. I think I've um, seen that actually. Yeah. Um and then another famous concert version was the New York Philharmonic in 2014 and the London Philharmonic in 2015 is Bryn Turfel as uh Sweeney and Emma Thompson as Mrs. Lovett. You can watch and, that as well. And Philip Quast is Judge. Judge. Yeah, Judge Turpin. Turpin. That was filmed for PBS and released. I don't know that it was released on DVD, but certainly it was filmed professionally. Yes. So, you know, you can find see it. if you can find it. Yeah. If nothing else, I know that the opening is on YouTube yeah. and that opening, which I will link to in the show notes, is incredible. Yeah, it's spot on. I don't want to give it away, but it's like a great twist in like the first five minutes of yeah. the show yeah. and they do it so well. When Ruth says that like this show can be reimagined in – like any way it's so true like yeah. I think I don't think I've ever seen like two similar productions no of it. It, they do something different with it every time exactly yeah and yeah. I like that I do too um so a few facts the original Broadway and London productions were both financial failures mm. but the 2005 like <laughs> the 2005 <laughs> Broadway revival and the 2017 off-Broadway revival both recouped their financial investments so oh, clearly the key is like Make it shrinking simple. it down. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, we'll pay less people. We, yeah. <laughs> when Sash Baron Cohen was auditioning to play Pirelli for the film, he mm. sang the entire score of Fiddler for Tim Burton. <laughs> I just Fucking put that amazing. in. I just put that in for you because it was Fiddler. That's my favourite. Yeah. Um, a little Harry a couple of Harry Potter things. There's lots of people in the in the Sweeney Todd film who are in the Harry Potter film. For films. some reason I thought you were gonna say Harry Connick Jr. And oh, I was really? like, oh, how's he connected? Yeah. But no, Harry but Potter. Yeah, makes Harry more Potter. Sense. 
the films of Harry Potter and the Sweeney Todd film, lots of parallels. But isn't it just because the films of Harry Potter feature every big British, British actor? actor? Yeah, like... that's it. Because um, Johnny Depp's the only American in, yeah. the, in the Sweeney Todd film. Um, but interestingly, so Johnny Depp obviously plays Sweeney Todd in the film. Jamie Campbell Bauer, I'm going to say, that feels like a British pronunciation, um, who plays Anthony in the film, they both play... Gellert Grindelwald in the Harry Potter yeah, world. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I just thought that was interesting. So that's crazy. Um, Jamie Campbell. I think maybe in both he plays the young one, but in both Fantastic Beasts and that, and obviously. Um, Johnny Depp isn't in the original Harry Potter trilogy, but no. um, Jamie Campbell Bower is. It's a trilogy, is it? Oh, did Sorry. I say trilogy? Yeah, series of films. That's Read right. the books. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, don't. She's cancelled. Um, yeah, she's cancelled. So I just thought it was interesting that each revival on on in New York that they've done has gotten smaller in scale as it's that. gone on. I love so that. like even there was one in 1989 that was they called Teeny Todd, and teeny they, Todd. yeah, because it was Attend much smaller in, teeny Todd. in scale than the. That's actually even the, more Sondheim than Sweeney Todd. Yeah, than the 1979 original production, mm-hmm. and then of course like they joked in 2005 that it was Teeny Tiny Todd, oh, and like, like yeah, that. and then oh, like the one in 2017 is even smaller in scale. So I just thought that was. I interesting. can't wait for Sweeney Todd the one man show. Yeah. Um, okay, I want us to get a bit nerdy about the music now. Ready? Okay. What do you got? So. I'm going to hand Josephine a piece of sheet music. Um, this is called the DS Irae. Yeah, okay. You, I feel like you'll know about this because of being ca- like growing up Catholic. Yes, I do. So the DS Irae is a Gregorian chant that's used as a part of the Catholic Mass for the Dead. Yeah. Right? It's and pretty much a popularised like melody in yes. everything. And, and you will um, – they actually talk about this a lot in that video, that channel that I mentioned, that video that I oh, watched yeah. about the film. Yeah. But basically this – I'm just going to get you to play the first sort of bar that they have in that yeah. sheet music. Right now? Yeah. Okay, here it is. Yeah. So that motif, it appears constantly throughout the show. Yeah. Right? Like that is the first part of like the first – I don't know, section of the DS era, right? Yeah. That yeah. appears constantly throughout the musical. Do you know what else it's in? It's in Rent. <laughs> yeah. It's in La M. And when they actually sing. You know, when they, um, here she lies, knew her worth, the yeah. late great daughter of Mother Earth. It's in that bit. Yes, it is too. On this night when we celebrate yeah, the Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, and also the end of the DS era is P.A. Yezu, which Correct. of course like Andrew Lloyd Webber does, a, like the Requiem, it's, part of that yes um so that um little piece that josephine played is like literally in the show like that tune it's not like he doesn't sondheim hasn't like appropriated it it's just taken yes but then what he does is like every other bit is either that or he just like inverts it slightly or whatever yes and there's i mean if you can find it there's some clip of him talking about it like at the time that he wrote yeah. it on tv and he's like yep and then i took this bit and i inverted it and then i did this for this character and yeah. like but that is like the theme throughout the entire show but it's also like it is supposed to be a requiem this whole show yes, is exactly like, about death. death and yeah, yeah. exactly Makes sense. so um they uh so the the thing where like uh so light motif is where um it's a character's theme exactly piece of theme music yeah so and in this show in particular, I would say 
more than any other show of his. There's, yeah, it is like I agree. Or there are so many of these in this mm. show. So it's not just like basically every character gets their own musical motif, but not just that. Like London has its own one. Like there's yeah. all these ones that happen throughout the show. Yeah, and sometimes sometimes they're super obvious, like um, that recur in different times, and sometimes they happen really subtly. And it's almost like when Sondheim wants you to then think of that character exactly because what what we don't realize particularly in watch movies that have light motif is that it's used by the composer not just to signal a character being on screen or on stage but also like to make you think of that character so yeah. it's like conditioning us we're like pavlov's dogs exactly to like recognize that this character is there's something happening yeah, yeah. so a couple of examples of my favorite like nerdiness of this <laughs> is um you know the bit where the beggar woman's first song, she's like, how'd you like to fish me, Squiff? All that stuff yes, yes. is the same like <laughs> bit as the minuet waltz that you hear in Poor Thing yes. when Sweeney's talking about the ball where, that Lucy goes to when Judge Turpin attacks her. Yes. So, like, spoiler alert, we're, we're already the... being told through the music right at the beginning that the beggar woman is really Lucy. We know that straight away. Like, you're, so, you're told that. Though. Through the music. Through the music, Through yes. the music. You're not told that, like, yes. in the show. It's, like, quite a spo- – like, it's quite a – Yeah, it's a surprise. Surprise when it happens. Yeah. Um, so, like, I love that that gets revealed, like, an hour and a half earlier, yeah. you know, than real. Yeah. And then in Epiphany, you know, we mentioned like Sweeney's big song, which happens towards the end of Act One. Mm. Um, the music when he goes to um, And My Lucy Lies in Ashes, right, Th- those notes are literally halfway in between the notes for Arms, Arms for a Miserable Woman that yes. the beggar woman sings and Greenfinch and Linnet Bird oh, so it's the that two, Joanna sings. So women. it's halfway in between like he's, he's literally talking about like his, his, his wife, wife and his, his daughter, daughter and, and the notes that he sings are literally halfway in between those notes. If you're sitting there being like, I wish I'd shut up about Sondheim, this is the shit. Yeah. <laughs> this is the shit that we love. This and is this like you can dig you can dig ten layers deep and he yes. still thought of this. He and planned I, this. I feel like Sweeney is kind of the most – obvious examples of it because yeah. he because he's literally taken one like piece of music and just done all these different things around it so it's the easiest like digestible yes. nerdiness to sort of look at yes um i'm curious if i said to you is it an opera what do you think no yeah so it's not it's, it's, it's about close 80, to an opera, it's 80 percent right? it's 80 percent sung through yeah um and it's about 20 percent of its dialogue yeah um sometime has sort of famously been like doesn't like categories doesn't no. like whatever when pressed he sort of referred to it because he feels like operetta is the closest thing but operetta conjures up like light frivolous yeah you know funny comedy yeah yeah so to him he's sort of called it a dark operetta yeah that's kind of his that makes sense um, to me he's like if i have to categorize it that's what i call it i actually think that people think of it as an opera partly because and we'll talk about this a lot of opera companies perform the show yes but i think that it's more to do with the fact that it's like a melodrama yeah and that's how we associate opera and these like big themes and things like that than actually to do with it being sung through i think too that it's probably an easy gateway for performers who would otherwise perform opera like in terms of ranges of like the ensemble numbers for example they require a lot of Legit Sopranos, exactly. for example. So, like, maybe it makes more sense rather than a yeah. contemporary theatre company yeah. to tackle. What do you think about the show being presented by opera companies? I think it's great. Yeah. I also don't, like, I love whatever you put on. It's going to be great. Exactly. You know what I mean? Like, I don't care who's producing it. Yes, Just make exactly. it good. You know? Exactly. So, yeah. So, it has been done by a lot of opera companies over the yeah. years. And uh, it is quite commonly done by them. And, and it's interesting because... So, like, that version we talked about with Bryn Terfel singing, yes. um, that concert version. Again, I – and it's sort of like what we 
talked about with Lamias and Alfie Bow. I think that Bryn sounds beautiful. He wasn't right for that. But I'm not sure that his acting was quite up to strength mm. com- compared to, say, like when George Hearn does it or, mm. you know, whatever. Don't you think too, Sweeney Todd is – I'm trying to think of um, sometimes other male um, leads. Is Sweeney Todd like the lowest – I was going to say, it, like is, ba- it, is is a great, baritone, it is right? a baritone, yeah, definitely a baritone. I feel like most of sometimes lead males are tenors. Are tenors. Mm, interesting. Yeah, and interesting. Mrs. Lovett too, is, she's not a soprano. No, that's right. She's like, like a proper alto, It's I great think. like that. Yeah, yeah. 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 So um, I really like that. Yeah, so it was funny because I used to think it was sometimes most accessible show. Yeah. And then, and I don't want to like talk too much shit about this production that Josephine and I saw last year because I'm not really here for that. And no. I think that the issues with that show were kind of bigger than the show itself. Yeah, it wasn't problems with the show. It was just yeah. a, a bad production. Yeah, and like the, the venue had issues that we saw it in. Yep. Like there was lots of things. But there was a production that we saw in Australia that that we didn't enjoy. It was and it was quite it disappointing. Was, yeah. Um, but interestingly – until I had seen that, we had some friends that came with us to see it and I thought, great, I can't wait for them to see Sweeney mm. Todd I, because it's such big themes and big characters and it's funny and, and things like yeah. that. I thought, great, you think other it's people super will accessible. Like it. But seeing this like somewhat disappointing production, um, it was like it wasn't like they were just mm. so bored they and were totally turned off yeah, yeah. and it was it was a, yeah it was a real shame for me mm. because i just thought oh but i think a good production of this can be incredibly accessible well i mean but i sort of feel like a good production of anything that's true like that's very true to be fair yeah yeah it's a shame yeah so um gateway songs tell me i have picked i've picked epiphany which is like yeah his big, you know, Sweeney's big song. He has um, an epiphany. He does. He has an epiphany. <laughs> um, Not While I'm Around. I love that song. Uh, that Toby and. Um, I think it's one of my favourite songs of all time. It is a beautiful song. It is a really beautiful song. Mm. One of my issues with the film, um, I don't really like it when Toby's played as a little boy. Yeah, he's supposed to be like a young man. Yeah, it's like generally played as a young man with sort of de- maybe some, some developmental sort of devel- issues yeah. or like um, just like a just bit simple. Learning, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, I think that that is, or even just like super naive, yeah. like just hasn't yeah, I've seen had him life done experience. Like that. Yeah. yeah, and that is my preferred way because then. Like, again, spoiler alert, but at the end where he's witnessed all this carnage and ends up, you know, killing Sweeney Todd himself, it's like he then sort of basically gets up and as the actor portraying Toby sings, you know, Mm. basically like Attempt the Tale of Sweeney Todd, like – it's a really great moment, yeah. I think. And and you kind of need to be a bit older to pull the, the gravitas of that off. He really, at the end, he's carrying that end. Exactly. I've seen it done where Toby's more like he's had some trauma in his life. So he's just yeah. like a little bit stunted because of his, his past trauma. Yeah. And so then when you – and it, it's actually quite moving when you see him then watch Mrs. Lovett die and mm. like that's even more affecting. Yeah. yeah. I think that to me if – the Toby is good. It can really make an entire production. I agree. Yeah. Oh, one thing I forgot to say about that production that they did in the pie shop. Oh, yeah. So that in, the, in, in interval, they got everyone out of the auditorium. Everyone had to go into like the foyer area. And then the second act, God, that's good, started in the in the foyer. Oh, cool. And they did – the actors were just like among everyone doing God, that's good yeah. as like a – we're in the pie shop and it's bustling yeah. and here we are. Do you know, I imagine at this point in time some person is talking about how shit that experience was for them, how they so had to move and get up. I and know people it. who hated that production. Yeah. yeah. 
Like I'm thinking about like say I took my mum to Broadway and she had to do that. She'd be like, why do I have to go? No, up? your mum would love it. <laughs> she would. I know she would. I'm just using a boomer as an yeah, example. But I I know <laughs> I know people who saw that production and hated it. Yeah. And I think they're incorrect. Uh, I loved it. Um, um, my, so not while I'm around. Um, I do think that Joanna is a beautiful song. Beautiful, beautiful. It's also just quite a, short. Yes, it is like a minute and a half or <laughs> yeah, something. It's random. Um, and the worst pies in London, Mrs. Lovett's song, definitely, which I use as as our a patter song on yeah. our um. I love episode. by the sea. You are so wrong. It's the worst song in the show. No, nah, I love it. I, I can't it so believe much. you love that song. <laughs> it's so boring. Oh, how could you? <laughs> no, I love it. I also just love the intervals in it. Like it's very chromatic. Okay, yes. Yeah, that's yeah. nice. Yeah. yeah. But um, it is a boring song. Uh, <laughs> You're a boring song. <laughs> Thank you. Those are the four songs I've picked. In the end, I think on our playlist, I've picked all just the 2005 Broadway revival, just in terms of recording quality and that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, but on Spotify, you can listen to the original Broadway cast. You can listen to the 2005 revival and you can listen to the film soundtrack. Mm. Um, those are on Spotify. That's Sweeney Todd. Hey, that was good. Thank you. Thank you for winking at me then. No worries. That was sexy. All right. Are you, are you ready for this? I'm ready. Actually, I just realized we are doing two of our most favorite composers ever today. Yes. Because I am tackling Songs for a New World by Jason Robert Brown. Oh, I'm so excited. I know. How cool that we're doing Sondheim and Jason Robert Brown in one. Okay, so. We're such nerds. We are such nerds. Songs for a New World. That's the name of this. Songs for a New World. Just because I will probably roll over that title as I talk about it, but. <laughs> That's what it is. I got a lot of information from my brain. <laughs> from my 16-year-old brain. <laughs> That's right. And also there was this really excellent article written by um, Scott Miller titled Inside Songs for a New World, which um, was actually published like it was like it's like 20 years old. Yeah, so amazing. Anyway, if you're a nerd, I highly recommend that article. It's very good. Can you send it to me? I will. <laughs> 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 okay, some background. This is pretty much just Jason Robert Brown being awesome. This is his first produced show. It was originally produced off-Broadway at the WPA Theatre in 1995. Brown and um, Daisy Prince, so she was the director, put together songs that he'd like previously written for other venues and other events resulting in, quote, neither musical play nor review. It is closer to a theatrical song cycle, a very theatrical song cycle. <laughs> a, very, a very theatrical song cycle. That's right. I want that End written on, on my tombstone. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, like, uh, it's a piece of magic. It was the first Jason Robert Brown that I ever heard, yeah, ever. Yeah. Um, I was actually given it to listen to by a musical director of a show I was in when I was 15 and I instantly fell in love, just instantly, straight away. Yeah. With the, with the recording, not the musical That director. is also who get – it's the same musical director that we had. And yeah. he was in a show at the time that was like a sort of like Rat Pack style swing show. Yeah. And it was like a review. Yeah. Yeah. And it, was, and it was basically like all like Rat Pack, like Frank Sinatra hits, but then he just put two Plus, songs from Songs for New World yes. in it. Just like shoehorned it. Now, don't get me wrong. That's how I fell in love with those two songs. Yes. But they were, had it was no so place random. being in that show. Actually, it's only now that you're saying that that I realise how random that was. But yeah. I think at the time because I loved the song so much, I was like, excellent. Yes, same. <laughs> I like to hear one for my baby, one for the road. Yes. And then this song. It was so inappropriate. <laughs> but at yeah, the time, of course, we loved it. Yeah, well, shout out to that person. <laughs> um, I love Everything about this show, yeah, I actually think I do. Um, the reason why I spoke about Parade earlier in our episodes is that, like I've already said, Parade is Jason Robert Brown's most complete musical. 
Songs for New World is my favourite piece of his, yeah. but it isn't really a musical in the strictest in the strictest sense of the term. Like it just it it's not something you could just sit back and watch and be immersed in a story like Parade. Very true. So if you're looking for that musical experience, Parade is your thing. Yeah. But if you really appreciate his work as a composer, then Songs for New World is the bomb diggity. Yeah. So, like I've said, it sits somewhere between a song cycle and a musical because each song is highly theatrical, as he said, and they all relate to a central theme and the central theme is decision really. Like basically each character is at this like pivotal moment in their lives where they need to make some sort of decision. Um, There's no book in the musical, um, there's no overarching plot and there are no firm characters. So each song is a standalone character and moment in time that isn't continued on any time in the show. Is there – so sorry if you're about to talk about this, but it's man one and man two and woman one and woman two. So they don't even have names that – yeah, if you're in the show, you're like man one or woman two. But does say like if you're woman two, do your songs – kind of follow any sort of no no nothing no No. um i'm sure like nerds could maybe infer meaning okay but it doesn't it's not intended to be there yeah yeah um so production and conception so picture this you're jason robert brown you're from the outskirts of new york so he was always sort of around new york he was always pretty determined to be a broadway composer he'd worked as a pianist and an orchestrator on a new brain by william finn Stay tuned for that later. Um, He also worked like on a bunch of piano bars and like that's actually how he met Daisy Prince. Right. And we've talked about how maybe he's quite an arrogant person and I love that about him because I think what literally happened is he he didn't know that Daisy Prince could direct and at the time she was super young, she hadn't directed anything. He just like went up to her and said, you're Daisy Prince, I want you to direct this show I'm working on. Right. And that was it. But like then it was revealed that he wasn't working on a show. He didn't have a show. He just had all these like numbers. Yeah. So he was 25 then, yeah. so young. It took them actually more than three years to put the show together and um, the opening, one of my favourite numbers, was sort of the last thing to be written and it was really the glue that stuck, like it solidified the whole concept of the show. Mm. Um, in Jason Robert Brown's words, quote, it's about one moment, it's about hitting the wall and having to make a choice or take a stand or turn around and go back. So that's sort of the central theme and we spoke about reviews um, I think it was last week we spoke about yeah. reviews and they're all about like songs centred on a theme. So that's really what makes this a review, mm. I think, although it is a song cycle as well. Anyway. <clears throat> I th- I think of it as like the quintessential song cycle. Yeah, and but he never sort of, I don't know, he thinks it's more theatrical than a song cycle. Okay, interesting. Yeah, so anyway. Sorry, I said review, I meant song cycle. <laughs> I'm such a dum-dum. Okay, there was a workshop of the show in Toronto and then it was brought to the WPA Theatre in New York City where it played a very limited run yeah. of 28 performances. Yeah. Um, so the WPA so like Theatre. three and a half weeks yeah, basically. Yeah, it was yeah. exactly that. It's, yeah. a, it's an off-Broadway theatre and it was, a, it was a pretty successful run but that's it. It was just... 28 performances, super limited. The score was recorded the year after with most of the original cast and it was released commercially and it was quite a successful cast recording. So uh, like I remember we sold it at Borders Tugra. You know, like it it was like it was a pretty successful CD at the time. He, like Jason Robert Brown, basically then went straight into Parade. So that was sort of like his launch pad. Yeah. Obviously because he'd met Daisy Prince and how Prince was involved in Parade. But anyway, um, the show only features four performers 
and they, like we said, don't play the same character throughout. There's typically two women and two men. I've never heard it done differently than than that, but I assume you could if you wanted to. Um, The original cast were, in my opinion, completely perfect. Yes. And by that I mean the original cast who were on the cast recording. Yeah. Because, yeah, here's the caveat. The original cast was um, Brooks Ashmanskas, Jessica Malaski, Andrea Burns and Billy Porter. Yeah. All names that you would probably like. Yeah, you have all heard gone their on voices. To successful careers. Very successful careers. So the caveat is that um, amazing, divine Billy Porter, who we adore, um, and we know he's a powerhouse, he isn't on the original cast recording. He was actually contracted to a record label at the time and they refused to allow him to record yeah, a musical. Yeah, it was a whole thing. It was a big deal. Yeah. A really big deal. But luckily the exceptionally perfect and amazing Ty Taylor. Yeah. Stepped who, in. Who isn't really like a musical theatre person, no. right? Like, like more of like a gospel singer. Yeah, he's like a gospel singer. And yeah. so he's got quite a like a successful um, recording. He's a recording artist. Yeah. And, yeah, he just like stepped in and saved the day and sung this incredibly difficult part. Yeah. Is it, it's man two, I think. Right. Um, yeah, because I grew up listening to him like literally just kill all the songs, Ty Taylor for me is – He's the man. Right, yeah. Although I imagine Billy Porter would do an amazing job of it. Well, I don't know if you're going to mention this, but there is a recording of Billy the Porter song, singing yeah. King of the World yeah. on Spotify and it's really good. It is really good, but for me it's a little too raw. Ty okay. Taylor to me in that original cast recording just has div- like flawless vocals. Mm. Um, but that's just my opinion. Basically, um, Jason Robert Brown had written a bunch of songs for other projects um, he and Daisy Prince just like chucked them together to create this show. Yeah. So, but I feel like what's amazing about this is that it's so much more than that. There's this really good 1998 review by a guy called Mike Isaacson who said, Songs for New World is that very rare beast, an abstract musical. There is no specific location other than the natural ambiguity of the human heart and mind and yet it has a very strong sense of unity about it. Even though many of these songs were actually written for other projects over the span of several years, this show feels like it was planned as a unified whole from the beginning Mm. and it really does. Yeah. Like I don't know how he's managed to create that Mm. but he he does. I think in this show. So some other productions, there was a regional production. It was mounted by New Line Theatre in St. Louis in 1998. So not long after the original, it premiered in the UK in 2001 at the Bridewell Theatre. There was a professional revival in New York that was staged in October, 2008. Um, Then it premiered like in Paris in 2013 there was a revival in London in 2015 at the St. James Theatre and the cast, which I think was interesting, consisted of Cynthia Erivo, who she's actually a hugely incredibly successful actress and singer and she was in um, The Outsider recently, that um, Stephen King TV oh, series. Was she? she was God, amazing. she's doing well. She's doing so well. If you're a Broadway nerd, you'd know her as Seely in the most recent yeah. – Revival of, of the, the color, color purple. purple. She won the Tony, and yeah, and she's she won. Like, I think she's won insane. an Oscar as well. For she was something. nominated. She didn't win. Oh right, as playing Harriet Tubman. Yeah, Harriet yeah. Tubman in um, and yeah. she's in an Aretha Franklin biopic coming. She's up. quite a versatile performer. She's insane, insane. And so to think that she was in this, which means she has crazy vocals. Um, also in that production was Damien Humbley. Oh, that we loved in Merrily. We loved in Merrily. He's from Whopper in yeah. Perth. So I thought that was interesting. I um He would have been Man One. Yeah, I yeah. assume so. He wouldn't have been Man Two. 
but um, I haven't heard that recording, but I'd love to knowing that Yeah, cast. I wonder if even there's – there might be something on YouTube There might something. be something, yeah. yeah. So that was the 2015 London revival. So recently there was a special encores off centre stage concert of Songs for New World. It was performed at the New York City Centre um, in 2018. Yeah. This we mentioned of, encores in our Little Shop episode. We did, yeah, that's right. it's a concert series. Um, so, yeah, it's a concert series. This um, starred Shoshana Bean, Colin Donnell, Michael Kilgore and Soleil Pfeiffer and it's the only recording that's available on Spotify. Yes. So they recorded that concert. Um, so a lot of the songs I'm going to recommend in the Spotify playlist are from this production but I don't think you should listen to this production <laughs> otherwise. Um, I don't like the recording, the encore's recording. I listen to it. Just because it's the only one available on Spotify. I do prefer the original, but yeah. I appreciate I appreciate that it's a new recording and it's a new yeah. sort of And they have done some new things with orchestrations yeah. and instrumentation. I'm like I've said before, I said in the waitress episode, I'm not a huge fan of Shoshana Bean. Yeah. And I think it becomes too much about her vocals mm. rather than about, say, the music or working in an yeah. ensemble when she's part of, yeah. of something. So I struggle with that because there are so many pivotal ensemble numbers she's in the show. Jessica Malaski. Yeah, Jessica role, Malaski. Right? And and yeah, there's something Whose about the voice original. Is just so stunning. Stunning. She was also in Parade. Um, yeah. Something about that original cast work really well as an ensemble. I agree. And I don't think the Encores cast do. And like to be fair to them, it, it like would have had like, like a week's rehearsal or whatever. That's right. Like, yeah. And like they only they had like three performances of yeah. this Encores concert. So yes, totally. Um, interestingly, the show continues to be popular, like among small yeah. theatre troops. Like it's big in Australia, the US and the UK apparently, although I've never seen a production of I've it here. I've never seen a production and like I've seen a lot of fucking productions. Yes, yeah, so I don't I don't know where that fact came from, yeah. but Wikipedia seemed to think that was the truth. Yeah. So who knows? I'm sure it is being done, just I'm sure. not on the Central Coast of New South Wales. <laughs> no, that's true. So because there is no book to this musical, it is all about the music, just all about the music. And holy fuck is the music just perfect. Like, yeah. Just perfect. There is no real set style and that's very Jason Robert Brown. He um, he sort of openly stated that he's incredibly influenced by Sondheim. His favourites are actually Sweeney Todd and Sunday in the Park with George. Mm. There's our link for today. He's also really just like a jazz mu- musician. Yeah. Like so – there's quite a range of genres just sort of tucked in amongst the songs. There are sort of classic music theatre ballads, I would say, then some gospel numbers, some pop numbers, and there's heaps of jazz influence in there. So it's got a huge range, I would say, of style. Um, it's very piano-centric, the orchestrations, because that's Jason Robert Brown's primary instrument and he kills it. It's got a fairly simple band. Um, but also just a side note, there is nothing easy about this score. So like oh, no. you might be hearing like, Simple band and four cast members. It is a absolute yeah bitch yeah. of a score. Oh, it's a bitch. It's like a yeah, dude. Um, it's also incredibly vocally demanding. Yeah, like but like all of Jason Robert Brown's stuff, it's super tough on the musos. I would say tougher on the musos than on the singers. Yeah, man, it's hard. You can't just mount this show without no. like a completely professional level top notch team. Yeah, I agree. They're just like it's just not possible. I would love to do this show, but you would have to get every single person in we, the team. And right. we would never find a man too. No. Where are you, man too? Yeah, who can sing genuine Spanish sailing yeah. ship, can oh, sing King of the World. Flying like, home. Yeah. 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 So because it's quite a sparse show, there's sort of no hiding a lack of talent. No. <laughs> like you just can't hide. Like Yeah. Yeah. I've I've sung most of the female numbers at some stage and they are hard. Like I would say harder than last five years. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. 
Jason Robert Brown is also a master at composing for small vocal ensembles. Yep, I agree. In a way that I don't think any other musical theatre composer yeah, his vocal is. arrangements are stunning. Stunning. Like yeah. his quartets are just mm, divine. He has these amazing like close harmonies. He's got this also just like extensive understanding of the voice, yeah. male and female, I would say. Like he just gets it. Um but you just can't be shit. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so some gateway songs. Yeah. You have to listen to Ty Taylor sing King of the World. It's not even just Ty Taylor. It's also like the orchestrations of that original cast recording. Yeah. Jason Robert Brown on the piano just absolutely killing it. It was like a perfect storm of a recording. So it's on YouTube. Uh, that song would be um, up there with my favourite songs of all time. Yeah. And I like I've put in the gateway playlist, I've put the um, – the encore's cast yeah. recording of it because it's such an awesome song, but I think the original is heaps better in terms of the orchestrations yeah. and also Ty Taylor's voice. So find that. The opening is also an excellent place to start, I think. Yeah. So it's called A New World. I just don't like what Shoshana does in that uh, in that particular number. If you can listen to the original, do it. It's just beautifully constructed. It's so beautiful. Yeah, I will say though, so those are my two main gateways and then I've listed – about 75 other gateway songs <laughs> and I'm going to I'm going to say them out loud okay. cuz fuck it. Here are the other songs that I adore. The Flag Maker 1775. She cries. Oh my god, how good is she cries? She cries is insane. <sighs> Flying home. Brooks Amazing. Yeah. Just one step. Hilarious. Yeah. Stars in the moon. You sing that beautifully. I do. Thank you. I'd give it all for you, a gorgeous duet. I'd give it all for you, the original, randomly, the original cast recording is on Spotify. Oh, it is. Just that song. That's so weird. So random. Because I really love Brooks Ashmanska's voice. Same. Beautiful. Um, Christmas Lullaby, also beautiful. Hear My Song, that's the closing of the whole show. Stunning. And On the Deck of the Spanish Sailing Ship. So they're like my favourite songs from the show. (laughs) There's about six, well, no, probably like five songs left that I haven't mentioned that I could have mentioned. Yeah. Yeah. Basically the whole show. It's so perfect. Sublime. Amazing. I I have two fun facts that I need to list. One that Josephine is probably – this is where her arrogance isn't coming through. Josephine sang – what's the song called? I'm Not Afraid of Anything. I'm Not Afraid of Anything, which is from this show. uh, It was like they do this big state uh, at the opera house each year when she finished school for music. She got to perform at the opera house. It was like the best of the music HSC for the year. Yeah, and I sang this song. And she sang this song at the opera house. That's pretty cool. I think it's probably the first time Jason Robert Brown was performed at the opera house. Oh, that's a good call. Yeah, I, I think it would that. be. I mean, it was, what, 2006 or something? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. That's amazing. Thank you, um, Ruth. My other fun fact is not about you. Oh. Um, I loved that in that Encores revival. Yeah. In So that sold out. They did a few. It's like 2,600 seats or something in that theatre. So that the, the, the run sold out and you could f- – in that 2,600 seats, that was more people than fit into the entire amount of people who saw the original <laughs> run of the show in one performance. I love that. So yeah. they did – I think they did three. So yeah. they like more than quadrupled. Yeah. the amount of people that saw the original run. It's amazing. Isn't that incredible? Well, that just really to me shows the power of that original cast recording. Yep. Like that – like we were talking about last five years yeah. – that would not, those two shows would not really have gone anywhere no. if we didn't have those cast recordings. Exactly. So that's super important. And yeah. also just like Jason Robert Brown has now achieved sort of commercial yeah. success. I mean, sort of. actually he's never achieved commercial success. Well, he's when had shows on will? Broadway. Yeah. When do you think he will achieve commercial success? I don't success? know. Like what, what does he have to do? I know. What do you have to do? I to... know because I really thought Honeymoon in Vegas was going to be it. Yeah, because I love that. It got really great reviews out of town. Mm. It actually got really great reviews on Broadway yeah. and it just – didn't 
See, that's an example of a film that is not very popular that I think made a really good musical. I loved the show. I I got to see it it on Broadway. I loved it. Yeah. And I, yeah, it was a real shame. See, I quite like Bridges of Madison County Yeah. I mean, I I don't, I never seen that on, I I feel like I may feel differently about that show if I saw it on stage. Yes. Um, But yeah, I wish, um, Honeymoon in Vegas was a real crowd pleaser as well. Well, it's got everything. It's got like capers and. Exactly. It was really funny. The songs were great. It was a shame. That is a shame. I really want, I really want him to have a big success on Broadway. Yeah. Yeah. I think he's doing all right. Look, I'm sure he is, but (laughs) yeah. That's it. That's Songs for New World. Amazing. Yay. I love both of those shows. Yeah, actually me too. Yeah. But they're our favorites, like I, Sondheim and I sang Stars on the Moon and you played piano that time. I know, we're so cute. That was right. a long time ago. Yeah. You sing that song really prettily. Oh, thank you, darling. You, yeah, you do. Yeah. Oh. Well, this has been my favorite musical. Yes, thanks for listening, everyone. And um, Please tell your friends. Yeah, like, share, subscribe, yeah. all that stuff. And please stay tuned for Thursday's mixtape. Woo. You. Uh, we'll see you then. Bye. Bye. Bye.